Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm just going to read all the way to verse 18, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can follow along or not just know that I'm just reading the word of God and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. A few years back, um, some of you might remember Majid El Shafi that's been with us. He's from Egypt. And... Uh, we have financed rescues that Majid will go into places like Afghanistan and take a, a Christian family that is being persecuted, uh, rescue them, get them to places like Canada where they can get s- to safety. And uh, I asked Majid once, what is, what is the most surprising thing to you about America when you finally came here, the, the, the land of Christianity? And he said, the lack of unity was shocking to him. But you know what, He's, he grew up in a world where he was persecuted for his faith and when you're being crushed like that, it's amazing how many things don't matter anymore and you get together and come around the common cause of Christ. But That's free, I'm not gonna charge you for that one. Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In verse five he says, and in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the, uh, the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found, verse 8, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He's making a point that it's one thing to die, it's another to be crucified. That's a big and painful death. Verse 7, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And because of that, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you always look to the verses before to see what it's there for. Therefore, because of what happened with Jesus, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Remember, he's writing this from prison. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I feel like we need that in like our homes. If you've got multiple children, that needs to be the mirror scripture everywhere, right? Don't grumble and argue so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Jesus, would you give us um, insight into your word this morning? 
I believe that this was Holy Spirit inspired and handed down to us and it's trustworthy and we can read this and know that these are the words that your Holy Spirit not only had for a church in Philippi but also for the church at, at Conduit today. In your name we pray, amen. I, uh, I'm kind of a pain in the butt. Um, when it comes to, <laughs> Shannon's like, glory. <laughs> uh, but, but some of you resonate with this. Uh, when you're traveling, one of the most important thing is making good time. Very critical. Like lives are depending on whether or not I can shave five minutes or here or there, or at least that's how I'm acting. On the way home from a wedding uh, yesterday, we were up uh, at the the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and I'm happy to report that Brian and Caitlin have beat the rapture. They are married, so they can stand before... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I told Brian, like, if we hear trumpets, you've got 12 seconds, man. I'll, I'll, I'll pronounce you man and wife, but that's the rest is up to you. But he made it, so we're good. So on the way home... Uh, I have mapped out in my mind, on the way there I have mapped this out, by the way, uh, that, because when you, if you've driven from Gatlinburg, you know you can make it in one trip if you just work hard and apply yourself, right? If you move with purpose and urgency. And so, I know where the Dunkin' Donuts is. Not for the donuts, by the way. I, don't, I guess they sell donuts, but it's about the coffee. So there's a Dunkin' Donuts with coffee that is right in, in Knoxville, and so if I get my coffee there... Uh, we get gas. I can, I've timed it to be about seven minutes, which would get us home at that point. I think it was 9.47 was the goal. <laughs> so we go to get the coffee at the Dunkin' Donuts. And the window, uh, first of all, I get to the, 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 the little thing, and the guy goes, uh, Welcome to Dunkin' Donuts. Like, seriously, he's having not a good day. So I'm like, I looked at Shannon, because it was like, you know, it is like, it's kind of an alarming amount of not a good day going on, and so he's, because at that point, I've worked in restaurants, you're thinking, I just need to be able to have a visual on everything he's doing. Uh, <laughs> so the window opens, and I hand him my card, and the window closes, and I'm like, what is that smell? And I didn't say anything out loud, because there's, honestly, there's a point where I'm thinking, it could have been me. Do you know, I mean, it's been, we've been outside all day, it's been hot. So he brings us the coffee, and he's like, have a good day. Um, window shuts, and at some point, right about then, Shannon goes, what is that smell? So at that point, I'm like, look, well, again, could still be me. So I'm, I'm doing that. But it wasn't, I swear. And, but it was at that moment that we realized that it smelled like B.O., like straight-up salty, sour, like... Just, I just need you to feel this with me. Because it's killing my time. <laughs> and I want you to know that making time was so important to me that I almost wanted to drink it anyway. I know, that's going to come up in therapy someday. But I'm, we get in the car, and it, what, Shannon's like, this, this, the cup smells. And it almost smelled like that he did this with the... the and then handed him to us. Now... I, I, you know, Amy says that, that sometimes the sonic cup smells that way. So there might be some sort of a chemical thing that was happening. Whatever it was, it was not pleasant. And uh, my wife at this point, we can't drink this. I'm like, oh, crap. I've got to go to McDonald's. So Dunkin' Donuts is number one in my coffee stops. And by the way, McDonald's is a close number two for coffee. Nothing else but their coffee, right? Respect. 
Starbucks is a distant third. My jumping off point was like $4 at Starbucks. I'm like, okay, you guys keep charging all you want, but I'm jumping off. Um, so we go to McDonald's. That took forever. I just needed two cups of coffee. You know when they do the order, and they, you get the number, you step aside, and he takes the next order? At which point, now he's got an error on the cash register. I'm like, you're killing my time. <laughs> that coffee didn't smell nearly as bad. But I had a choice in that moment. Now, keeping in mind, I know I'm getting ready to come this morning and talk to you guys about happiness and making good decisions and how your decisions are about your happiness. And I am mad and not happy because of coffee. Which point my wife actually, she throws out the Amy Grant. Well, maybe God's protecting us, you know, with angels. So we're not going to, you know, we aren't, aren't going to be, you know, we won't be, we'll have missed something because of the extra, at this point, seven minutes. Uh, which ultimately, by the time we got the coffee, we were now 22 minutes behind, and so now I'm going to be home at 10.08 instead of 9.47, and then I miss an exit. And all I'm thinking is i got to come face you guys tomorrow morning. Because <laughs> here's what I did. I actually went onto the Yelp with a sense of indignation because I'm warning the people around me, right? Because that was my motivation, right, was to help others. <laughs> and what I did not know was that it would automatically post to Facebook... <laughs> So I just like to confess and repent in front of all of you guys and, and to the guy at the Dunkin' Donuts in uh, Knoxville that maybe it might not have been B.O., it might have just been the chemical thing, but I stand before you today uh, sorry and ashamed. And, and uh, I, that was a moment where I really did have a choice to make of how I was going to let my day go. And if we talk about the pursuit of happiness, and which we have, we've, we've talked about it from the angle and the perspective of things that happen to us that I have no choice and I have no control over at all. I don't have any control over the diagnosis. I don't have any control over whether the brakes are going out on the car. I don't have control over the air conditioning at the house or whatever dilemma that I'm... There's things I don't have control over. However, on the other hand... There are things in our lives that we are making decisions that absolutely 150% are your responsibility, 100% affect your life that either bolster your happiness or undermine your happiness. And if we don't talk about those, then I believe that we're naive and I believe that you can go about your whole life thinking in terms of, well, this is all someone else's fault. I love the way that Andy Stanley talks about this because he says that, you know, you're, talks about the enemy and coming to steal and sometimes the enemy is, you're your own worst enemy. Have you heard that before? That certain, certainly, certainly Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. But the fallen nature of the world that we live in means that there are decisions that I make that kill stuff, that destroy stuff, that steal stuff. And Andy Stanley puts it this way. You know how I know that you are your own worst enemy sometimes? Because you ate it. You smoked it. You bought it. You financed it. You kissed it. You dated it. In some cases, you married it. You have made decisions, and the one thing that was in, in common the whole way through is you. And to realize that we are brand new inside 
that the Spirit of God has turned our spirit into something new, that all things are passed away, all things are come new. But your mind is between you and the world, and your decision-making can absolutely wreck what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He loves you. He loves you anyway. But the consequences of our decisions. He died to redeem us from the, the, the penalty of sin, but the consequences of what maybe happened in your marriage or the consequences of what happened in this relationship or that, those are on you. And he'll be there and he'll walk through them with you. But he loves you enough to say, look, you know, in the words of Bob Newhart, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> and as I was, I was reading this and what Paul was encouraging his brothers and sisters in Philippi to do. That the first chapter, there's a lot of things beyond their control, but in the second chapter, he's saying, but hey, but look, there are some things you can do here. There are many things you have to do and you must do. And by making these decisions differently, your life is different. The consequences are of your life. You, you are happier today or unhappier today based on decisions you made 20 years ago. When he says in verse 12, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in according to his good purpose. That is the paramount verse in this thing because it tells us exactly what he wants to do. To work in is what he's done. He's made you a new creature. There's nothing else to do inside of you. Your spirit is new. He has put inside of you that. But what you do is work out what he worked in. I, I, I see Sarah with us this morning. Hi, Sarah. Uh, Sarah is a personal trainer. When Sarah is out there working out her clients, they're not making new muscles. They're working out the muscles that are already in them. So what he's saying today is that, hey, salvation, that's taken care of. And I'm so glad that it's according to faith and not works, Ephesians tells us. Because if it were about works, we'd get to heaven and everybody'd be bragging, and then it would be just like hell. But it's not. We can only brag on what Jesus did. So he has worked in us, and now we work out of us. Does this make sense to you? Because that's what I see here, that he's saying that there, in this encouragement to the church at Philippi is a church of conduit encouragement as well. The starting thing is it all has to do with your mind. Your mindset is what gets you to the gym or not. Don, when you jump on the bike, your mind at some point says, I'm getting on the bike. When you are putting the hash brown casserole in your mouth, my mind is telling me to do that. And I'm reading this and thinking, man, the mindset he tells them is to have is the same mindset that's in Jesus. The mind of Darren says, hash brown casserole right now. The mind of Christ says, make good decisions because you want to be healthy for your family for a very long time. The mind of Darren says, I really want to buy that right now. The mind of Christ says, that's really stupid. Dumb. Because really, you're not going to have any you know, There's a mind of Christ and there's a mind of Darren, but that drills down into less obvious things because he says, when you're dealing with other people, the relationships you have, deal with them from the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is a mind of humility and a mind of action. Because it starts with humility. 
Because the mind of Darren, when I even start thinking about, and some of you are doing it right now, the mistakes that you've made that have brought you to where you are, the mindset of you says, feel guilty and shame and regret. The mind of Christ says, forgiven and I can work in all things together for the good. The mind of Christ starts with a humility. And if you're looking for the best biblical definition of humility that I could give you, it is very simple, just believing the truth about yourself. That's it. Because at some point, I have to acknowledge the decisions that I made so that I can change the future. That's why first step, if you've been through AA, and many of us in this room have, it is the first step is admit you have a problem. Is that first step? Is that step one? That's step one, you're powerless. Jimmy knows him. I got to admit that I'm powerless. There's a pr- that's the humility part. I have no power over this. So I start with the humility and the mind of Christ that's humble and acknowledges who God is. But the second thing that Jesus does in every situation is he's not just humble, but he's taken action. Do you think that he felt like getting crucified that day? Any day. He says he did, and he said, if, 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 if there's any way that I could do this, so I don't want to do this, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And I see that in our lives and think that in our society especially, we've got it in our heads somewhere that I have to feel motivated before I do this. I mean, just, don't you think about that when you're like, at work, man? I'm just trying to get motivated to get this done. I'm just trying to get motivated so I can clean the house. I'm just trying to get motivated so I can wash my car. Motivation is not the promise, and if you're waiting on motivation, it ain't coming. And if you're in the creative process, you know this. If you're a songwriter, I mean, Bobby, you know this, right? You've got to write and write and write whether you feel like it or not. Wake up in the morning, I'm going to write. And you don't wake up in the morning, well, today is the day I'm going to write a hit single, and tomorrow you just keep writing whether you feel like it or not. And in every one of our lives, we know this to be true. And yet, research has shown that on any given day, 35,000 decisions we make, how I'm gonna feel, what I'm gonna eat, what I'm gonna say, what I'm gonna have my tone in this, I've got decisions, 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 decisions all day long. And research has shown that 95% of every decision we make every day, all day long, is not made by a fact, not made by whether it's going to make me better, not made by whether a long term, it's made by how I feel in that moment. And I'm waiting to feel this, and if I wait to feel that, then I'm not, it, the, the feeling is not what Jesus promised. The feeling isn't what Jesus waited on, and the mind of Christ says, I'm not waiting on that. I was, uh, was a TED talk a few years back from a, a lady named Mel Robbins. Has anybody heard of the five-second rule that Mel Robbins talks about? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to... It's really surprising. It's got like 10 million views. Let me, let me try to give you the best I can synopsis of this and Google it later. Mel Robbins has a book called The Five-Second Rule, and her thought is very simple, that you and I already know what we should or shouldn't do. Like, we know it inside, in our inner wisdom, and I would say even the Holy Spirit. We know what we're supposed to do. But the moment, from the moment you know what to do and the moment that you think about it is about a nanosecond and your brain will kill it before it ever gets out. It's called a habit loop. That's why when you're feeling pressure, some of you, 
I got to do this. And next thing you know, you've just scrolled and you just spent 20 minutes scrolling through Instagram. Because the habit loop took over before you even got to it. And this was her five second rule. This is her thought. And I want, you know, I've been trying this the last few weeks. I know this all of a sudden feels like a Tony Robbins self-help thing. I apologize. I'll get back to the word. But here's what I believe this has been for me. You guys remember the first time you realized that you could take a pistachio shell and open the other pistachio with it when the ones that are hard to open? Did you know this? When you get to the pistachios that are hard to open, if you take a shell of the other one, put it in like a key and turn it, it opens it. It blew my mind that moment I figured that out. It's called a life hack, right? So what I'm giving you right now is a life hack that's been working for me. The five-second rule that Mel Robbins talks about is that from the moment you think it, count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and then make your decision. And here's what she said she's figured out. In that moment when I know what I'm supposed to do to the moment that I'm doing it, God has given us, what do you talk about, renewing of your mind. Science has proven that that is an actual thing you can do. And I would suggest we do it with the word of God. She says that the purpose of this is that from your basal ganglia part of your brain, what she calls the reptilian part, I believe it's the fallen part of us. You understand we live in a fallen world. You are beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, but you are in a Genesis 3 world, not a Genesis 2 world. So the Genesis 3 world is a part of our brain that takes over and the habit loop happens. And she says in this simple thing, she counts backwards, it moves it from the basal ganglia, that instinct, to the front of your brain, the frontal cortex, which is where you make decisions and you learn new things from. By switching it, you've literally interrupted the habit loop. And doing this on a daily basis, we were in Gatlinburg and I, I brought everything I needed to go running because I'm, you know, at 46, I have a couple of choices I could make, right? I could go left and eat Cheetos the rest of my life, which by the way, is an appealing option. <laughs> or I can get myself out there and, and at least give it a shot. And I'm in Gatlinburg, I have brought my stuff to run and I forgot my shoes. Old Darren, the mind of Darren says, you're off the hook. <laughs> you're good. Five, four, three, two, one, Darren goes, okay, I'm going to go out there and run my boots then. And I look like an idiot. <laughs> Running in like Magellan fishing pants and a, you know, Under Armour shirt. And I, but I did it. But, and here's the thing. I don't even say it to take credit. I just, I interrupted a habit loop that I've had my whole life to say, well, I'm out of it then. I'm off the hook. I interrupted it and recognized it was my choice to forget those shoes, and I'm interrupting it. And it's a point for me to say, okay, the mind of Darren has a lot of thoughts that the mind of Christ wants differently. And for us to start with the humility and the recognition, I love what you said, Jimmy, that we're powerless against this. And to interrupt that loop to say, no, no, this is, in this moment, procrastination, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the work and everything to do with avoiding some sort of something going on in your mind, whether it's the pressure of, a, of an ailing parent or the pressure of your children or whatever, and next thing you know, you're not trying to avoid work. You're trying to medicate this, other, so I don't have to feel this, and procrastination is about you making decisions based out of fear. About a set. And, and this affects everything in our lives, our marriages, our children, our parenting. And Jesus says, if you do this with the mind of Christ, the mindset of Christ that Paul talks about, in your relationships with each other, the mind of Darren says, throw those socks right there, wherever there happens to be. And interrupting that loop, <laughs> I'd say, hey, but there's a, and I did, I took my shoes, I was very proud of myself, I took my shoes off of the table 
the dining table, and, and took him in because I'm like, oh, that, that's a, this is me teaching myself the mindset of Christ in our lives. I'm working out what Jesus has worked in. Does this make sense? So working out what he's worked in means that I'm going to have to do it. I've got to start with my mind. And by the way, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the experiences the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So I start with my mind. It's the only thing that's going to get me to the gym is to say the mind of Darren, the mind of Christ says to push forward and to work out this thing that Jesus has in me. But I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to work out, then I've got to have a grip, right? There's a grip, whether it's on the weights or on the treadmill. The treadmill for me is usually like this, but, but, but you know what I mean? You've got to get a grip on it. And I think that what he says here is so telling for us because he says in verse 16, hey, you've got to have the mind of Christ. He goes on to say, and hold firmly to the word of life, to the word of God. And I was taught this example as a kid, and I've never actually said it in a service until today, but that idea of holding on to the word is instructive for us. Because if you're hearing, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, that's one part of the word. But so is reading it, so is studying it, so is memorizing it, so is meditating on it. So if you think about it in terms of a grip, gripping the word of life, Hearing it is important. Your pinky is a very underrated appendage. It's important, but with just a pinky, I'm not eating nachos. I need more. I'm not, I can't drive with the pinky. So he says, he's talking about gripping on it. I think that the pinky is hearing it, ring finger, reading it, middle finger, study it, pointy finger, memorize it, your thumb is meditating on it, and when it comes together into your palm, is applying it. The f- six things, when they come together, is the grip on the word of life. And for me, I've always loved to study it. I get fascinated and intrigued by things, but that's not enough. Meditating on it, praying. What Jason was talking about earlier, about knowing that you're a son and a daughter of the king, that's, a, that's the word of God. It's meditating on it memorizing it. When your children are memorizing scriptures, which Sarah does such a great job giving scriptures and helping her children, parents work with them to memorize it because what you're doing is you're giving them a grip on the word of life. And by the way, I believe the muscle inside of it that holds it all together is the Holy Spirit. That without the Holy Spirit, that it just falls apart. So the power of the Holy Spirit, the muscles inside of your fingers and your hand to grip onto the word of God and what Paul is saying is to hold tightly onto the word of God with a mindset that gets you up to do it anyway with the grip that's holding on tight and then the last thing that I see is that you're doing it with good form. When you're on a bike, for instance, like I know that we have cyclists in here, I don't know if guys in here, but getting your bike sized right, Don, get have your bike sized right, because if you don't, you don't have good form, you jack up your knees. As a full-figured man, when I'm out there running, I almost did it right there, it, if I don't have good form, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to end up with a knee surgery. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I have to use good form. It's not like happy Gilmore, right? You just, you get in there and you use good form when you're lifting because you don't want to injure yourself. And the good form that he talks about here, in verse 17, he talks about even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, this is a really beautiful thing that he's telling us. 
even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, speaking about his death that he thinks might be coming. By the time he, re- he writes 2 Timothy, he doesn't say if anymore. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. He's speaking about his execution and the blood that he's about to spill, even if I'm already about to be poured out like a drink offering. Listen, and if, you're, if you've got your Bible out, underline or circle the word on. Drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. And so too, you should be glad and rejoice with me. He's speaking about a drink offering and it might be helpful for you to know what a drink offering is to understand the powerful promise that he's giving. In the old covenant, in the Old Testament, a drink offering was first showed up in Genesis 35 when Jacob has just been given a new name. He's been called Israel and it says that he took basically a gallon of wine, like he went to Arrington and bought a gallon, like a box, and dumps out the wine on the sacrifice. The picture is beautiful because as the law was being written, there were three or four different instances where they would do a drink offering, and the picture is very, very simple, and that is this, that wine was a joy, it was a party. Jesus' very first miracle was instructive and on purpose was to create water into wine because he was speaking about joy. Wine speaks of joy in the Old and the New Covenant. And when the drink offering was poured out, it was a symbol of Jesus isn't here, Jehovah in the Old Testament, Jesus, Father God here, is not here. So we're pouring this out because this is his glass of wine for his celebration, a spot that is saved and reserved for him, the drink offering. And Paul says here that my life, even if it's already being poured out as a drink offering for you, I can rejoice in this. Because he's talking about that my life, now his life, your life, my life, when it's being poured out onto someone's life, that it's a picture of me being the joy. What did Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12, that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. You, parenthetically, you, because of you set before, he he was thinking of you. And because of that joy set before him, he endured the, the shame of the cross. But notice that he doesn't say, my sacrifice was for you, it was on you. And that jumped out at me this week. Because Paul wasn't sacrificing for them, he was sacrificing for him. And the reason that is critical is if I'm sacrificing for you, if I'm sacrificing for my children, sacrificing for my wife, for the orphans in Haiti, and I could be noble about it because I'm sacrificing for them, then I will always have a struggle with the joy that he talks about because what if they're not grateful? What if they're not thankful? What if I did all this for you and then you go to another church and then I'm like, oh, that really hurt my feelings. What if you sacrifice for your children and they grow up and they become jerks and you're thinking, I gave my whole life for you. If I'm giving it for you, then I I have a hook in you that I can expect something back from you. And when I don't get it, I don't feel the joy. But if... On the other hand, my sacrifice is for him on you that no matter how you respond, 
I can have the joy that he spoke of because it was never for you to begin with. And every time it was, I was out of whack and then I'm trying to get something out of you, but if I'm giving it as an offer and a sacrifice of praise to him, that my life is being poured out for him, for the joy set before him and the drink that he's getting of my life brings him joy and me joy because it was never about you. And mamas, if there's any gift I can give you, Stop sacrificing for your children. Sacrifice for him, but on them. You're giving them gifts, but it's for him. And you know what that does? It gives you the freedom to stop being mad at your kid when they were ungrateful. They, isn't that true? I mean, I don't Because what I'm really is I'm just mad that he wasn't grateful, and I need to repent of that, right? And just say, but it's for him, and I'm not talking about not disciplining your children. I but I am saying that you can find a life of joy as a mother and as a father when I'm offering this glass of my life to him. Matthew 25, he talks about doing it for the least of these brothers of mine, which is a beautiful thing because if you're God and you've wired you and me to give and to serve, you are, only, you are at your most spiritual and, and fulfilled when you are giving away of yourself to God, but he doesn't need anything. <laughs> you know, you get that guy in your life or the woman in your life where you, they have everything already, what do you get them for Christmas? It's God, he doesn't need anything. He says, but I'll, that's cool because you're gonna be fulfilled when you're giving and you do it for the least of these You've done it unto me. It counts as if you've done it unto me. And so mamas with young babies at home that feel like your life is being poured out, it is. It's being poured out on the least of these, on a little baby. Marisol's here this morning with a brand new baby. Life being poured out on that little baby. That is, you, talk, you can't be any more least of these than that. And she is pouring her life out on them. And in those moments when now you begin, because you're going to do it, you will, you'll feel it. Oh, in fact, if you're, especially if you're a parent and you've said these words, I've lived my whole life for somebody else and now it's time to live for me. If you've ever said those words out loud, if you've ever thought them, that is not the mind of Christ. You see, you've identified the problem, right, which is you've been living for someone else. That's true. But the solution is not now I live for me. The solution is now I live for him. And then I pour my life out and I love this because, oh, at the end of time, he says that I, in Matthew 25, he says to those of us who have poured our lives out for the least of these, that he's going to look to you, Chris, he's going to look to you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that I've prepared for you. The wedding feast of the lamb, which may or may not be grape juice. I'm almost positive it won't be. Were you Baptist? I'm sorry. I just... I mean, I, my point is, there's time coming when your life will be, and I, this is the picture that I love, and if you don't hear anything else I say, the joy set before him is you. And I really believe, we were at a wedding, and he talks about the wedding of the Feast of the Lamb, and you are a bride. And there's a moment where the best man stands up to give a toast at a wedding. And in my mind, I see that as the Holy Spirit holding up you and toasting to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that I've prepared for you. And so this side of heaven and this fallen world that we're in, 
There's going to be moments where your sacrifice for someone else is going to be unappreciated, and if it was for them, then it's going to hit you like a kick in the gut. This happened to me 2012, 2013. I don't remember the year, but there were some problems going on in our our little church family in Haiti, and the pastor was calling me. We're trying to figure it out. I'm like, you know what? Let me go down there. Let's, we'll pray, we'll have a church meeting, we'll get everybody together, and we'll, and so we did that, and I'm like the, the only blanc in the room, and, uh, and we're getting ready to just, just, let's talk through and figure out, and what had happened is rumors had started to spread in the community that, uh, that we were building mansions, and we were making, you know, that our pastor is a millionaire, and that he, all these, and these are people that I, like, I've seen them, I'm seeing what they're driving, if they're a millionaire, they're doing it wrong, but their culture was, they felt we're being used so that you guys can get rich. That was the lie of Satan in their lives. And so we go down, and I'm sitting in the church service that night. We get, you know, the, the, the music is going. Before long, I hear like a whack against the wall, and it was a rock. And I looked outside, and there was a mob that had formed outside. And they've got signs written in Creole. I don't even know what they say, but they had exclamation points. Apparently, that's also a universal thing. And saying awful things and throwing rocks. And at some point that night, I got to get on a moto and go out the back because I don't know what's about to happen here. There used to be a back door gym, like right where that church, you could go out the back. And that's, I got onto a moto and drove through the crowd and went back. But, and I I was, I'm not going to lie to you, I was a little bummed. We've invested almost a million dollars in that community. And this is the thanks we get. That's what I'm thinking. A bunch of ungrateful that's what I'm thinking. And the truth was is that rumors had spread by the time a couple days later we opened it up to the community. We let them come into the offices and see the houses that we've built and see all the stuff that's happening. And it, and it appeased them and it caused peace for them. But the fact that they didn't even give me the benefit of the doubt, it made me angry. Anger is a secondary emotion, by the way. It means you were hurt. And anger is a result of that. But I realized later, that the reason that that hurt as bad as it did was because I was doing it for them, not for him. I might have even been doing it out of my own, like a hurt somewhere. I'm trying to fill this hole in my life, and so doing this somehow medicates that. I wasn't doing it for him. But I'm doing it more for him now than I was then. Doing an inventory of that and to know that whether they're grateful or not, that I can do it for him and as my life is being poured out, then I can say, cheers to Jesus. Cheers to you. As our lives are poured out, not for us, but for him, to give him joy and him refreshment. Doesn't that sound like a better way to live? Right? To be able to, and it's such a beautiful way that that Jesus has given us, and it's so instructive for us, because you could waste your whole life trying to do something to make your dad happy, and he didn't even notice you because you were living for him and not for him. It, would you stand with me today? It's Mother's Day and I definitely want to be able to beat the Baptists to the restaurants, but we... we <laughs> <laughs> Paul would say in Colossians, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. 
I'm not doing it for you. And when I do, that means I'm some dysfunction in me and I need to quit and you can't. And by making those decisions differently from a mind of humility and from a mind of action, whether I feel like it or not, just literally engaging with my mind, disrupting any habit loop and knowing that I'm working out that salvation that's in me with fear. And I love this with trembling because if you've been to the gym and you've worked it hard, hard, what do you know about your arms when you're done? They're trembling. Work out that salvation hard this week so that you're trembling because you've done it right. And knowing ultimately that that work is noticed and it's a sacrifice for him. Let's pray. Jesus, would you give us wisdom on that this week? That Moms, dads, kids, grandmas, grandpas, we all need to be reminded we're not here to do this for someone else. It's for you. Our lives offered as a living sacrifice. I'm not sacrificing for my wife. And Lord, would you forgive me for those moments that I've done that, that the sacrifice is to you, for you, through you. I get excited, Lord, when I think about it, because boy, how awesome would it be to be a church full of people that have just working out our salvation, working those muscles that you put in us with a tight grip on your word, with a mindset of Christ, and with good form so that we don't injure ourselves or injure those around us. We pray for that in, in your name, Father. We pray for it in your name, Jesus. The, the name is above all name. The only reason we could even pray to God directly, Jesus, it's your name that we pray this in. Amen.